This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. We are going to continue in our series on the high priestly prayer of Jesus from John 17. And so as we prepare for the preaching of God's word, would you join me in a moment of prayer? God, we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to receive and be transformed and renewed by your word. We thank you for this prayer from Jesus and we ask that we would be instructed and built up in our faith now and may we be a church that serves the world because you have given us your word. Help me now, I pray. Help those who are listening now to receive. Speak through these words, for that is our indeed our prayer, that you would be glorified and your people would be strengthened. Amen. Well, beloved, that's how John and Jude especially referred to their readers when they wrote their letters in the New Testament. That's how I was thinking about you this past week. It's how I want to address you now, beloved. I miss you. I want to tell you really briefly about just kind of how I was feeling a week ago on Sunday, on Easter. Well, I suppose I should back up to Saturday. On Saturday morning, the day before Easter, I came into the room that I'm in right now, and I recorded our Easter sermon. I preached to empty pews. And I want you to hear me well. I am beyond grateful to our God that I could do that. It is a special trust that I have been given. And I am more than aware that Christians around the world don't even have the option of a live stream right now. Historically, This is a very recent development. For you to be able to see me preach outside of just some very well-funded churches is, is technology that's only existed for, I don't know, probably less than 10 years. And so as Christians have experienced pandemics throughout the centuries, we've experienced plagues for millennia, we have it relatively easy And we should praise God for that and acknowledge it because it helps us to work through these difficult days. Other Christians have done this and they've done it under much harder circumstances. And so I'm grateful for what we have. But I did not like preaching to an empty room. If I can be honest, it stunk. It stunk. If it were possible, I was thinking I would have rather gone and preached this sermon a couple hundred times to each of you individually in your front yard, if that were even possible, rather than preach it to empty room to nobody and have us stream it this way. It stunk to preach an Easter sermon to an empty room. Easter's my favorite day of the year. My family, last week, did what you probably did. We got up, 
We thought of that scene from Groundhog Day that plays over and over again where Bill Murray wakes up and the the clock radio is playing that same song every single day. That's what it feels like now, doesn't it, Groundhog Day? We had our breakfast and then we sat down to watch the streaming service. Our family sang the songs with you and we loved the part, our favorite part, was where we could see so many of you answering the question of why you rejoice in the resurrection. So good to hear your answers, and just so good to see your faces. And then we sat down, we were there, and we watched the sermon. And that's a weird thing. First of all, I've got a two-year-old continually going, that's you on the TV, Daddy? That's you on the TV? And I say, yes, sweetheart, Daddy is, is on the TV right now. And I've got to tell you, it is just weird. It's always weird if I just go back and, and look at the preaching for some reason, but it's extra weird to sit on your own couch and tell everybody in your family to be quiet because you're on TV saying important things. It is a strange reality that I don't think I will ever actually get used to. It's just an extra layer of odd during this time. And so we did that. We watched all the way through, and it was great. I loved it. But then this kind of weird fatigue, kind of a weight, maybe just the reality of it all sort of came over me. And sometime after lunch, I just got really tired. I think probably it was part of the lead up to Easter. It's my favorite day of the year, like I said. But it's also very busy for me, and there's just kind of this adrenaline that I run on. And really, I kind of began reflecting. I've kind of been running on an adrenaline high for about a month since we started doing that. I kind of approached this, and it was like, all right, this is going to be different. Let's dig into it, and let's do this. And I, I kind of felt like on Sunday afternoon last week, all of it, the adrenaline rust just kind of came crashing off for me. We're all only able to absorb so much. And I think the fact that we couldn't be together, and Easter had just come, and this is so weird and difficult and hard, and there's so many emotions. I think it just all hit me, and I just kind of ran into this wall Sunday afternoon, and God is so gracious to me, and this God is so gracious to me, because I stayed there for a couple of hours. I, just, I was just tired, and, and I just kind of felt low and down, just kind of going through the motions at home, but then sort of mid-afternoon, Everybody else was, was doing other things in my family. And I, I just kind of felt the Lord, his gracious hand, just kind of say, hey, I want to just take you, kind of usher you outside. I went onto my back patio, sat down with my Bible, and, and I just kind of felt him saying, kind of heard him saying, not audibly, just in my spirit, just kind of heard him say, there is abundant joy in me. But sometimes you have to fight for that joy, and I'm going to help you fight for it right now. And so I sat down at my patio table last Sunday afternoon and I began to fight for joy. And the way you fight for joy is you praise the Lord. You ask him to reveal truth to you in his word and then you rest in his promises. So I sat down and I read all four resurrection accounts in the Gospels. And I prayed. I thank God for His goodness and His mercy, and I celebrated the resurrection. 
And listen, it, it doesn't always happen like this for me. It won't always happen like this for you. It doesn't always happen that quickly or even that specifically. But God was so good to me because in my spirit during that time, I, I just felt him lift me up. And that afternoon, many of the things that God reminded me of, as my spirit was lifted last Sunday afternoon, many of the things that God was doing in my heart are things that Jesus is praying for here in John 17, promises that we get, realities that we see, truths that we get to behold, and we're going to work through some of them even this morning. And so I want to tell you, I want to ask you, are you anywhere like I was last week? Are you tired? If, you know, maybe this was the week where things just kind of finally sunk in for you, that this is where we are in the world right now. If you're in that place too, where you're saying, Lord, I want joy in my life. I, I want to have joy in my heart from you. And I want it to be in my mind. I want to know and be transformed by the renewing of my mind in these things. I want these things, but I'm struggling to have it now. These verses in John 17, they'll help us to fight for joy. And so let's fight for joy together through these words. We're going to be in John 17, picking up at verse 12. So grab your Bible, put it right there in your lap, on your couch, put it right there on the table in front of you, get it open to John 17, and read with me through verses 12 to 19. John 17, 12 to 19. Again, this is Jesus praying, so let's pay attention for this is the Word of God. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me into this world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. These verses... 12 to 19, are often seen as a unit with verses 6 to 11 as well. But when we're studying it together, I wanted to have time for every verse in the section to, to be able to land with us, and so we broke it down into two parts. Last week was 6 through 11, this week is verses 12 to 19, and you can almost think of them last week on Easter as part 1 and today as part 2. And so last week we said that Jesus came to reveal the Father, to give the Word, and then He creates a community with a mission. Reveal the Father, give the Word, create a community with a mission, and He does that with a tenderness and an affection. We said He keeps us in His heart as He does these things. And this week, 
Jesus is saying that he has now done what he has come to earth to do. In a few hours, he's going to go to the cross. And so he's praying for his followers to be kept in these things as he prepares to leave. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die and he's going to rise again. He'll be with them for a short time. And then he will ascend to the Father where he is right now seated at the right hand of God. And because of what he's done, his followers will now more and more see that the world is not their true home. And as a community, they've been called out of the world. And so life in the world will not always be easy for his followers, for us. So he wants us to be prepared. And he's praying to that end, that we would be prepared, that as he leaves us, not leaves in the sense that he is not near to us, but leaves in the sense that he is no longer here on earth, he is in heaven, he's sent the Holy Spirit now to be in the world and to live in our hearts. But he wants us to have these promises of life in the world that he's left us with. We're, gonna, we're going to increasingly know that this world is not our home forever. But this is where we live now and minister now. It's where we've been called to build up the world that we're in, to work for the good of it right now. And so Jesus wants to pray for us and leave us with these promises. And so this is what Jesus is asking for in the second half of this section, verses 12 to 19. He asks for three things. That God will protect his people, for God to preserve joy for his people, and for God to persevere his people through trials. And then there's a fourth thing that I want to add that's unlike the others. Jesus wants us to see that we are in the world for God's glory. So last week, very similarly, the first three were a little different. Or the first three were, a little, were similar and then the last one was a little different. And I did that on purpose both of these weeks. The first three are similar and the last one is different on purpose. I want it to stand out. So God protects his people. He preserves joy for his people. He perseveres his people in trial. And we're in the world for the glory of God. So first, God protects his people. God protects his people. So look at verse 12 again. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So look back, there's parallels in each of them, so look back at the parallel in verse 6. I have manifested your name, is what it says there. Manifested means to, be, to make visible. So Jesus has made the Father's name visible. Or more simply, he's just made it so the Father can be seen. In Jesus, we see the Father. In verse 12, he says that he came into the world to make the Father's name known. And he's done that now. He's going to leave the world now. And he's asking, though, that even though he leaves the world after making the Father's name known, that we would be kept in the Father's name, that we would be kept in that name of the Father. Names are important in the Bible. It's not just how someone is identified, but it's who you belong to. When you take the name of somebody, you belong to them. In the book of Revelation, it says that we either take the name of God or we have the name of the beast. 
Jesus is asking for his followers to be kept in or under God's name, protected by God's power. God protects his people. He doesn't lose disciples. Later, when he is arrested in the garden in chapter 18, Jesus asks the angry mob that comes for him to let the rest of his disciples go. And the reason he said that was because he doesn't lose disciples. The angry angry mob came for him, not his disciples. Followers of Jesus suffer and die, but never outside of the power and plan of God. Just want us to hear that. Followers of Jesus suffer and die, but it's never outside of the power and plan of God. I can't promise you ease as a Christian, but I can promise that nothing that ever happens to you will happen outside of the sovereignty of God. Even the betrayal of Jesus, it says here, happened according to the plan of God. That's who the son of destruction is, Judas, who betrayed Jesus. The same phrase comes up because Jesus is not, Judas is not the only one to betray Jesus. 2 Thessalonians 2.3, it says that there are other people, either called the man of lawlessness or again, there it says the sons of destruction. Another translation might say the son of perdition. Who will try to spoil the plans of God, but they will not succeed. First, for Judas. And then for others who try to thwart the plan of God. Let's be clear. This is all done. It's all done of their own will, their own volition. Judas chose that. People who work against God will be judged and they will be held accountable for their actions. But it's the second part of what God does that gives us hope as believers. Even when people of their own volition, of their own choosing, try and and attempt to work against God, He will providentially override their evil designs and He will bring about His good purposes. No example stands out more than the cross. In the providence of God, it was the worst thing that ever happened. And God used it for his ultimate victory. And so God protects his people. We may suffer, but it will not be outside of his sovereign will and outside of his hand. The second thing is he now preserves joy for his people. He protects his people and he preserves joy for his people. Verse 13. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. Now remember the context of this prayer. He's just had his last meal on earth. Judas has already left when he prays this to betray him. And in the morning he will be crucified. Yet now he is praying for joy. And he's praying for joy for believers to know that they would know this kind of joy too. What joy is there in this? What joy is there in the cross? What joy is there in being hated by the world? 
Well, here's how Hebrews 12 answers that question. Hebrews 12, 2 says that of Jesus, that, the joy, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before Jesus and is set before us is the Father's love. It's the delight of God, and it's life with Him forever. Compared to that, what else is there? Jesus asked, what good does it do if you gain everything the world has to offer, but in the process you forfeit your soul? It's a rhetorical question, but there is an answer. The answer is that there's no long-term good in that. There's no long-term good in getting everything the world has to offer but forfeiting your own soul in the process. There's a sharp contrast being drawn here. And it's a contrast that should remain sharp for every Christian in the world. In the immediate context, Jesus is saying that you can join with the world that wants to kill him Or you can be part of a kingdom that is not of this world. Look at verse 9. Another parallel there. Jesus said he's not praying for the world, but for God's people. Now Jesus loves the whole world. In other places, he is regularly proclaiming the free offer of salvation through grace to anyone who will receive it by faith. He loves the world. But here in this prayer, he is saying that there are people who will reject him. Or there are those that will not accept him and be saved. And the path of joy and hope and peace and rest is the path of accepting Jesus Christ. If you want to know how to have joy and how to have peace, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and take his name upon yourself. Jesus says that the burden is light for the people who come to him. So if you feel that your burden has been heavy recently, throughout any time in your life, and it has, it has for all of us, bring it to him, come to him, be saved, be released from that burden. I just think we need to take a minute here and ask what having joy preserved for us looks like in the middle of a pandemic. Based on this prayer, I think it looks something like this. We know that this world is not our home. We see that things, there are things that are uncertain, and we shouldn't minimize that. To dismiss that makes us look like we're just not paying attention. But it's how we process what is happening and the posture that we take in the midst of it that shows us how there is a joy for us even in the midst of this. There is a difference between asking what God is doing in his sovereignty and looking for his glory, how might his glory be revealed in these days, and questioning whether or not he is real or good. So do you you see the distinction here? One way looks around and says, I've never seen anything like this before. 
I wonder how God's majesty will be known in all this. But you're wondering, I assume it will be known. I'm looking for how it will be known. It will surely be known. (coughs) I'm just looking for it here. And the other way, the wrong way, questions whether it can be known at all. One way expects the majesty of God to be declared, his supremacy to be known, and we're just looking for how that's happening. Another one questions whether he can even do that. Brother and sister in Christ, of course he can. He is, his glory will be known in this. As Christians, let's look around and see it. Our joy in him will grow when we ask him to show us his glory and when we herald that truth out for other people. We need to say this. We need to say this. Our joy is in God and in his son Jesus when we fear him and not death. That does not mean, hear me well, that does not mean that you should not be prudent, wise, and even extra cautious In fact, I believe we glorify God in these days when we thank him for the knowledge of how a virus spreads. And we respond to that, not with disregard, but with the proper response that accords with sound reasoning. We praise him for telling us how precious life may be preserved in these days. And when these times are immensely unsure, we thank him for all that he has made certain to us, both in his word and that we see him having revealed in nature. We should not be afraid to die because we're his. And with him, there is fullness of joy. But we should also be wise. And wisdom says that as creator, every life is precious to God. We worship him as creator when we protect every life. When we protect every life from conception. When we protect every life with disability and those with hard circumstances. And we protect every life through old age, as old as age as God will allow. This is the joy and delight of God to see life preserved. And it should be our joy as well. So thanks be to God that we know how to preserve more life during this time. Even though it's hard not to be together. Even though it's hard to take sacrificial steps. It is for the glory of the one who created, staying in his rightful place as creator. And his common grace has shed on this world so that we as a whole people might know how to preserve the precious life that he's created. He preserves joy for us. First, he protected his people. Second, what we just said is he preserves joy for us. And next, God perseveres his people in trial. Look at verse 14. I've given them your word. See the parallel back in verse 8. Jesus has given his disciples the words that the Father gave him. So it keeps going in verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The proclamation of the word and the truth of God will be heard by many 
but it will only save some and to the rest of the people in the world who hear it they will not like what they hear now now here's why i say that god perseveres us in trial verse 15 i do not ask that you take them out of the world somebody's doing but that you keep them from the evil one God's plan for us is not that we would know him and immediately be whisked away from the world. But it's precisely that we do know him that he keeps us in this world. Knowing full well at times that it will be hard. And here's his prayer. It's not that things would be easy, but it's that we will persevere. Remember, God doesn't lose people. Jesus says that we would be kept praise and that the the promise is granted that we would be kept from the evil one now there's evil in general in the world we know that but here jesus is praying specifically that we would be kept from satan satan is called the ruler of this age or the prince of the power of the air in other places in the new testament and he's not called that because he is royal or because he has power that rivals god's But because for a time, under the sovereignty of God, he has been allowed to tempt the world. And his goal is to draw people away from God. And here's how deceptive Satan is with this. For that to work, for a person to be drawn away from God, for a person to be drawn away from God, it doesn't need to be that they worship Satan. It just needs to be that they worship and put anything else in the place that God rightly deserves. Believer in Christ, speaking to you believers in Christ, now do not worry. God will guard your soul. He will persevere you. For those who are in Christ, you do not have to fear. You do not need to have a fear that leads to doubt. This prayer of Jesus has been answered with a resounding yes for you. You will not fall into the hands of the evil one. You will stay in the powerful grip of God. Just like you said before, Jesus doesn't lose any who are his. And if you're in Christ, you're his. You will be kept from the evil one. He will persevere you in trial. And finally, the one that's different from the first three, we are in the world for God's glory. One last parallel. Look back at verse 11. Jesus prays on his last night on earth that his followers would have unity. Unity with with one another like unity he and the Father shared. And that is a special kind of love. The unity shared by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had existed, has existed from eternity past in perfect fellowship. And don't Let what Jesus is asking for then sit lightly with you. Next time you're upset with another believer about something, recognize that any kind of division is never what Jesus wanted for his true church. Now that's going to happen. We're in the fallen world and we're fallen broken people. We're all going to have some division, but it's never what Jesus wanted. As we've been apart, I've often thought about the petty disagreements that churches have. 
that I know that I've witnessed, even been a part of in the church. I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you more than anything else. And, and I don't care about any of the periphery aspects of our fellowship. At this point, I'd rather be in an empty room with concrete walls, cement walls, and no chairs, just a single Bible in the middle that we could read together. In fact, that actually would probably be better because there'd be nothing in our way. we just hug one another. Wouldn't that be great? I miss you so much. All those petty things that just fall by the wayside. This has taught us that. It's taught us how valuable our unity is. And Jesus said in verse 16 that we're not of this world. And then in verse 17, look at what he says. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. People are called by God and called out of the world. That's how it works. They're called by God and they're called out of the world. They're made holy. That's what consecrate means, to be set apart or made holy, purified. But they don't stay out of the world. Look at, look at what happens here. They're sent back into the world so that the world would know more of God. That's the way that God makes people useful. First, he has to make sure that they're set apart. So he sanctifies them in truth. Earlier, Jesus said that he came to be and to give the word of God. That's how people are sanctified. They come to know Jesus, who's called the word incarnate, and they grow in God as so they grow in faith and grace. Romans, book of Romans says that faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. That's not just evangelistically, you know, for the first time. You do need to hear the word of God to be saved. But that's also how we grow in faith. We grow according to God's word. When we are grown in the word, then Jesus says so that we can serve the world hear that it's important hear this if you get anything else out of this this morning hear this we are grown in the word so that we can serve the world at times some churches at times in history believers have made the mistake of believing that once we need to that once we come to know Jesus Christ and grow in holiness we need to retreat from the world so that we remain holy. But it's actually here told to us that that's not how we remain holy, and nor is it how we learn from our chief shepherd Jesus. We follow his pattern. He was holy, so he came into the world to serve the world. So like him, like our leader, like the one we follow, we are made holy and sent back into the world to serve it so that God may be, may be known by more people and receive more glory. If you are in Christ, you have been changed because one, Jesus, who was not at home in this world, came to live in it for a little while so that you too could be made holy. And as he is holy, God is now calling you. 
He's placing you back into the world. He took you out of the world. He's called you out of the world. He's made you holy. And he's placing you back into the world so that others may know him through you. And they too might be called out of the world, made holy and put back into the world to serve so that the gospel may go forward. That's what God is doing. He's making a holy people, a holy nation, by calling people out, sanctifying them, putting them back in, and spreading the good news of Jesus. Perhaps, on the whole, the church in our lifetimes has never had a clearer mandate to do this together. That we're called out of the world and sent back into the world to serve. As one unified body of believers, the world needs the church now. I said, you know, I say this in our lifetimes because the circumstances we are facing are not new to humanity. Sickness, disease, plagues, they are not new. They're part of this broken world. Yet it's actually been through these times, through some of these seasons, that the greatest work of the church has been seen. In his book, The Rise of Christianity, historian Rodney Stark looks at some times of plague, and his conclusion is not just that Christians approach those times differently from the rest of the world, but it was in fact actually during those times that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God, the glory of God, was seen in unprecedented ways, even in the midst of great suffering. In fact, especially because of great suffering. In the third century, there was a plague called the Second Great Epidemic that swept through the Roman Empire. At one point, it was taking the lives of as many as 5,000 people a day just in the city of Rome. Far more than in any city that has happened in our country at this point, or in the world, in fact. And that exposed, the second great epidemic, exposed a massive difference between the idol worshipers and the Christians. The idol worshipers fled the cities. They were afraid of death. They were thinking only of themselves. But as Stark did this research... He began to read of Christians not fleeing, but running into the cities to serve the sick and the dying. Listen to what Cyprian, Bishop of Carthage, said when he wrote a letter for Easter in 251 AD. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty never sparing themselves and thinking only of others. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them, they departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease." drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many, in nursing and curing others, 
transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. Has there ever been a clearer description of what Jesus did on the cross? Taking on the pains of others in nursing and curing us and caring for us and offering us salvation transferred onto himself, death, so that he died in our stead. Folks, this is what Jesus did. He came when there was a plague, the plague of sin, and he said, I will enter into the plague. I will nurse you. I will care for you. And I will go to the cross so that my death will make a way for you to live. This is what Jesus did. And I'm not telling you to put yourself in harm's way. Nor am I telling you to avoid proper precautions. I I don't think you should go running in to, to find a sick person to help. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we have an opportunity, unlike any we are likely to experience again in our lifetimes, to be salt and light in this world. The world around us, the one that we've been called out of, sanctified in it, and put back into to serve has no answer for this. The world has no answer for this. Maybe it's a vaccine. Maybe it's medicine. Maybe it will just go away. But those aren't answers. Those are graces from God if they come. And they're only a temporary reprieve from what is to be truly feared, and that is the judgment of God. Even if we get a vaccine from this, folks, the judgment of God is the thing after death that we must truly fear if we're not in Christ. But the church, Christians, we have real answers, true answers that last forever. And so let's not miss our moment to offer them to people. People need this. We have been given the Word of God, to serve the world. We have been grown in the Word to serve the world. Sanctified in the Word to serve the world. Let's not miss our opportunity. God protects His people. God preserves joy for His people. He perseveres us in trial. And he sends us into the world to proclaim his glory. Hallelujah. Praise be to his name. Let's pray together. God, thank you for these truths, these promises, and that you answer this prayer with a yes from Jesus. He's seated at your right hand now. Our high priest and great advocate. He's our king. May we as a people, individually and as a church, serve the world. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for calling us out, saving us, and for putting us back in so that your glory may be known. In the name of Christ Jesus, we ask these things. Do a mighty work now. We continue to pray for the sick among us. We pray that your word would go forward and that we would give hope. Amen. Our Savior Evangelical Free Church is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words, building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about what these words mean, visit our website, 
at osefc.org.